Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. And Clark Deals, I know Christmas is close. We're working as hard as we can to get you the best deals on that last-minute Christmas shopping. So check it out and save that money. There's something that people spend a ton of money on, and that's hearing aids. And I'm very upset that something that the Congress passed three years ago is still being slow-walked by the FDA. Three years ago, I was so excited because the Congress passed a new law to try to bring hearing aid costs in the United States down to world standards. You know, in the United States, we pay uh, typically 10 to 20 times more for hearing aids than people do in other countries. The good news is that in those three years, the discounters have brought the price of hearing aids down a whole lot. Costco Wholesale, a huge seller of hearing aids, has its own private label Kirkland Signature that people really like that brings the cost of a set of hearing aids down to, I think it's about uh, $1,600. Sam's Club has its own discount hearing aids. And if you served in the U.S. military and are eligible for VA benefits, you can get hearing aids for free potentially from the VA. But what do you do while you're waiting for the FDA to follow through on the regulations that would bring hearing aid costs down into, like they are in the rest of the world, couple hundred dollars well in the meantime a lot of people have very light to moderate hearing loss but if you're in any kind of group situation you have a hard time hearing you can buy uh, personal sound devices that are not legally considered to be hearing aids that are available at walmart.com amazon.com in a walmart store uh, sometimes in a drugstore where you can get these personal hearing devices that are not legally hearing aids, but will help you deal with light to moderate loss until the FDA gets around to allowing real hearing aids to be sold at a very, very low cost. One other place to look, IHearMedical.com sells true FDA-approved hearing aids ultra, ultra cheap. Gene joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Gene. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Gene. you got a question for me that has been troubling a lot of people. Hit me with it. Well, I listened to one of your podcasts recently about insurance. It was very informative. Uh, you made some you. very good points about auto and homeowners. So I decided to reevaluate my homeowner's policy and I live in the state of Florida, so you know that we have hurricanes, and they have a rider 
uh, dealing with hurricanes. And the deductible, if I remember correctly, on your podcast, you recommended that we try to live with as high a deductible as possible since we're trying to deal with or at times dealing with these catastrophic situations. Don't just use it for everyday, ordinary events. Exactly. So my dilemma is uh, on one of the riders, one of the deductibles can go as high as $60,000 for uh, a hurricane disaster situation. Right. Now, let me explain. Um, for people who don't live in Florida, this is a problem you should be really happy you don't have to deal with. And I had a call <laughs> recently from, well, I've actually had two calls recently from people dealing with problems buying homeowners coverage in California because the wildfire threat. You know, both mm. impossible hurricane, wildfire, they're both very difficult to put your arms around what the risk level is. And so in Florida, what's referred to as a name storm event triggers a big deductible. And uh, those deductibles for a name storm often are not based on what the regular deductible is that you take. Although it's possible with the insurer you're getting a quote from, it was a ratio based on that. Mm -hmm. um, normally what happens with the Florida hurricane name storm event, so it could be a tropical storm named whatever, is that your deductible is a minimum 5% of the value of your home. Okay. Well, my dilemma is I can make it lower than that if I want to, but if I was to go the max, I would obviously need to dip into my IRA to get the money to cover that 60000 deductible, which means I'm pulling money out that could be you know, making money, plus I'd have to pay tax on it because right. of my age. So I'm really wondering what you think about maxing out that deductible versus you know, getting it down to a level that I could actually manage from, say, my existing resources. I would do the second. I would I would pay more in premiums each year to leave yourself not exposed to the point that you'd have to start eating into money you save for your retirement. Excellent. So, so in Good. your circumstance, my advice, taken at face value, would be a terrible idea. <laughs> Okay, excellent. Well, I was leaning in the direction that you just recommended, but I, I really wanted to uh, run it by you and see what you thought, and perhaps some of your other listeners might benefit from the, the response you gave me. And on the thing with your regular deductible for homeowner's insurance, do you have a mortgage or no? Yes, sir, I still do. Your mortgage company may put a restriction on how high a deductible you can have for events involving homeowners insurance outside of a named storm. Okay. So you got to make sure you don't take your deductible above what would be a violation of uh, covenants inside your mortgage. Excellent. Okay, because I'll then this happens to people in Florida who will be shocked by the premiums. So they take a big deductible on their homeowners insurance. And next thing they know, their mortgage company, the bank, has put what's known as force-placed insurance on their home, which premiums out at 25 times the premium of real homeowner's insurance. And yeah. the lender protects themselves in the language, and they make huge commissions, kickbacks, 
for <laughs> putting you in forced placed insurance. And so the whole drill is they're taking advantage of people in Florida putting the high deductibles in place. So you got to make sure Excellent. the deductibles don't violate what's in your mortgage. Got it. I'll check on that. Thanks for that advice as well. Uh, didn't didn't know to check on that, but I absolutely will. Okay, and it is a, it is always a interesting adventure trying to buy homeowners insurance on a coast. It's not just Florida <laughs> anymore. It's uh-huh. up and down the eastern seaboard and the Gulf that it's become a new interesting challenge buying homeowners insurance. Marie is with us, and Marie. You want some more education. <laughs> That's exactly right, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. What are you thinking of so, doing? Yeah, so um, I'm 38 years old and planning on going back to grad school to get a master's degree. My expected school costs are going to be about $22,000 in total over about two years. That's great. That's great. A- you know, that's a very reasonable tuition by today's standards for to complete a master's degree right it's a it's a local college so i'm I'm, i've gotten that advice loud and clear (laughs) so i'm gonna have about uh twenty five thousand dollars in savings when i start school um in cash and i've got also seventy five thousand dollars in a 401k through my employer that my plan is to transition into a Roth over the, the few years that I'm in school while my income is low. My question for you is, do you have any thoughts on student loans, considering that I've got a, a little bit of a chunk of money that's going to be in the Roth? What are the pros and cons of pulling from that a little bit to uh, help fill in my living expenses during college or uh, going for the subsidized Stafford loans and and do you have any thoughts on are you going to qualify for loans? are you going to qualify for subsidized Staffords for this degree? I don't know, but I know those are your favorite. So <laughs> yeah, I don't think you will. I think for grad school, okay. you're not going to have access to those. The problem okay. with grad school is the loan costs are pretty high, typically. Okay, that you're going to be at interest rates that are going to be six to maybe as high as eight percent depending on the reset each year. And so at the same time, I don't want you without any cushion in your life. As you're going into this with savings about equal to what the degree is going to cost, what are you going to live on while you're in grad school? Exactly. That's part of my question is my living expenses for a year are probably, you know, around twenty twenty four thousand dollars a year. And so um, I'll, I'll be trying to work part time while I'm going through school. But obviously, we'll we'll need something to fill in the gaps. OK, so in I'm really your thinking, case, I'm really just nervous about pulling out from my Roth. Is, yeah, I don't want you. I don't about. want you to pull out from the Roth. And this okay. is going to be weird. You're going to hear me say I want you to borrow the cost of your education because I want you to make sure you have a reserve of funds, get through to the degree, you're going to have a low enough amount of student loan debt that at that time you can then deal with paying it off. How much more do you think is realistic that you'll earn on a job? Honestly, my income is probably going to be about the same when I come out as it is now. Just going to be doing something that I want to do. (laughs) Well, that, I mean, that has value. So if you, for... You know, the two years, take out enough borrowing to pay for the schooling. 
you're able to preserve your savings, you're able to preserve your Roth, and then when you get out, just set about being very conscientious about paying down and paying off the twenty-two grand. Then know you're graduating with a reasonable amount of student loan debt, but you're still going to have a reserve of money available to you. In terms of cost of living during school as well, my plan is to work part-time. I'm, I'm hoping I'm not too hopeful with that. but No, you should be able to find part-time work. You already have a skill that should help you with what you can earn working part-time, and you'll still keep your reserve, still have on track for retirement, and you'll have this degree where you can do what you love instead of what you're doing which earns money, but is not what you love. Derek is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Derek. Hey, Clark. How's it going? Great. Thank you, Derek. So you worked as a teacher or worked at a nonprofit or something? Yes, correct. I worked in like the communications office doing like photo and video. Oh, okay. All right. Well, how can I be of help to you now that you're no longer with the school district? Yeah, so um, while I was there, they had a 403B, um, <laughs> and um, I put in as much as I could, and they they did 12% of my salary to it, and so well, I was there for fantastic. three years. That's fantastic. That's not yeah, yuck. No. I mean, the, they were doing a big match like that is great. Yeah, insane. But yeah, so I, I left, and um, I was just wondering if I should keep it in that 403B, or should I transfer it elsewhere? Yeah, you'd be best usually to move it to your own IRA. Okay. But there's something you have to find out, and that is if you have something known as a surrender charge for moving the money. I called them, and they said it was like a $75 fee to move it elsewhere. All right, so I want you to call back and just make sure, ask the specific question, is there a surrender charge? Okay. Because let me tell you, the $75 fee is a junk fee for telling them you don't want to be with them anymore and you move it to an IRA somewhere else. But a Mm -hmm. lot of times the insurance company has a poison pen fee that's called a surrender charge where they charge Mm -hmm. you a huge amount of money of what you have in the account for kicking them to the curb and going somewhere else. Gotcha. And then for the... For you saying me putting it into a 401k, if I already have a Roth that I fully fund, is that still an option for me to do a 401k with actually, all that? Actually, you want to move it to your own IRA because you'll have to pay tax on everything in there if you move it to a Roth. Okay. Because this is a pre-tax 403b <laughs> plan. So unless you're just mm-hmm. sitting there rolling in cash, you're like... What should I do with all this money that you could use to pay the taxes you'd owe? You're best mm-hmm. off putting it into a traditional. Okay. Am I still, because I have a Roth and I have a SEP, and now I would have a 401k as well? Is, is it okay to have three? Well, actually, <laughs> you wouldn't have a 401k. You'd have a, an IRA. Okay. 401k is an employer-provided plan. Now, there is one question I have for you. Is the 403B with a company called TIA, T-I-A-A? No, it's not. Okay, then I want you to move it. Because if it was TIA, it would be okay to leave it behind because they don't 
do the ripoff 403Bs. So mm-hmm. um, do you have your Roth with a low-cost company? Yes, your favorite, Vanguard. Okay, so I would call Vanguard, tell them you want to move this after you make that call to make sure there's no surrender charge. If they, mm-hmm. Oh, I should tell you, if they say there's a surrender charge, ask when the surrender charge ends. And you want to make okay. sure you put in, if you use an electronic calendar on your phone or use a paper calendar, you want to make sure you note that date because that's when you move the money. But mm-hmm. anyway, you can call Vanguard, tell them you want to set up an IRA with them and move money from a 403B, and they'll help you through the whole process. They'll tell you what they need to move the money. Okay, perfect. So the one thing you told me that's <coughs> outstanding is you were getting that 12% match on what you put in. Yeah. So that was the good part. And it makes no sense to me why we give teachers such a vastly inferior retirement plan with the massive, massive fees and commissions involved with 403Bs instead of what the rest of people have with 401Ks. But it needs to be fixed, and it can only be fixed by the Congress and I don't know how we'd get them to do the right thing. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. And you want to hear our podcast? That's easy. Go to clark.com slash podcast. And there's also... A lot of different websites, a lot of different apps you can use to listen to podcasts, and we're on all of them. And two ways you can listen to us, you can either subscribe to our no commercial podcast or listen to our free version with ads, your choice. Uh, Recently, I talked about the best used cars to buy based on Consumer Reports research. Well, I had a complaint that all the vehicles I recommended to buy used were expensive. Well, I got something for you. Consumer Reports has also done a guide to use vehicles you can buy for typically under $6,000. And so let me start with the most popular part of the vehicle market, which is SUVs, and tell you that most of the vehicles, SUV or otherwise, are going to be vehicles from long time ago, um, 2005, 2006, time like that. And you may wonder, how could that be reliable? There are certain vehicles that have shown reliability year after year. And I'll hit you with some of these recommendations right now. 2005 Toyota RAV4, typically about five grand. 2006 Honda Pilot, five to six grand. 2005 Honda CRV, five to six thousand dollars, and then passenger vehicles, 2005 Toyota Camry, same price range, 2005 Toyota Avalon, five to six grand, 2004 Honda Accord, three to four thousand dollars, um, 2008 Toyota Matrix, five to six thousand dollars, and then a discontinued brand. 2005 Pontiac Vibe. Do you remember what the Vibe looked like? It's a very unusual looking vehicle. $4,000 to $4,500. In small cars, 
2007 Toyota Prius, five grand, and these are approximate price ranges, and 2005 Toyota Corolla, 4,500 bucks. So these are in a price range where they are affordable to the point that a lot of people can just pay cash for a vehicle. And there are two others I wanted to mention: 2009 Honda Fit, between five and six grand, and 2010 Honda Civic, four thousand to listen to this, four thousand to eight thousand dollars. That's quite a spread for a vehicle. So I guess if it's got a ton of miles on it, you could get a 2010 Honda Civic at about four grand. If it's been lightly used and has a lot of features on it, more like $8,000. But the idea of being able to buy affordable transportation in four digits instead of five is a great thing for a lot of people's wallets. Heather's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Heather. How you doing? Good. How are you? Great. Thank you, Heather. How can I be of service to you? Yeah. So I got a 15-year-old sister that I help take care of, and uh, she's been t- taking a couple of school trips recently, and she, I bought her regular prepaid gift cards to take with her, and I'd like to try to move away from that and try to go to a more reloadable Visa or MasterCard, one preferably with less fees. How about no fees? Or no fees. Yeah, because no fees beats less fees. Yeah, yeah, if that's an option. All right, Heather, anybody in your family, prior military or current military? Nobody that is alive, no. Okay, all right. So you are not a USAA member? No, no. All right. Just for just for others, I want to mention USAA has the most comprehensive free programs available for what they refer to as youths. Nobody use that uses that word anymore other than USAA. But they have these accounts that are available to minor children that are fee-free and they have a variety of offerings for it. Outside of that, the best in the marketplace is Bluebird. And okay. Bluebird is an American Express product, not a Visa or MasterCard. But okay. it will still allow you to use it uh, for almost everything you would do free. So okay. your 15-year-old would be able to have a Bluebird card, no fee. There's no monthly fees. If they mess up and they overdraft it, there's no overdraft fee. And you can add money to it for free as well. Okay. And Is there also maybe a Visa or a MasterCard in case, you know, she gets to a place that doesn't take American Express? That's a good question. I'm not aware of any Visa or MasterCard other than the one USAA issues that doesn't have a whole bunch of fees. Now, the one okay. place I would look if you might find something like that would be a credit union. Okay. Are you a member of a credit union? Yes, I am. So have and you, she is actually too. We started her savings account. Well, then that's that would be perfect to check at the credit union she's already a member of, and see if there's any kind of um, prepaid card that she can get that won't have all the junk fees that tend to be loaded one on top of another on the prepaid okay. Visa and Mastercards, but. I wouldn't be too reluctant to get the Bluebird because American Express 
has done a huge effort getting new merchants, and the acceptance of American Express is much, much bigger in the U.S. than it's ever been. Okay, well, that's good to know. That's really good to know. And you can see how the Bluebird works if you just go to bluebird.com. Okay, thank you. Sure. So much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Robert's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Robert. Hello. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Robert. How can I serve you? Well, I'm a little upset about my uh, daughter's student loan, um, which I, of course, helped fill out with my information. And now, for some reason, my credit score has gone down 174 points. Oh, no. And I'm not sure if this has everything to do with it or if I co-signed on this or... Yeah, so you would have had to you would have had to co-sign, or the lenders made a mistake and think you co-signed. So here's the thing with student loans: are these um, is your daughter undergraduate or graduate? Uh, Graduate. All right. So these are plus loans. So there are plus loans that are the obligation only of the graduate student, and then there are what are known as parent plus loans. They're an obligation of the parent. Yeah, I think these are parent plus loans. Okay, so you are completely on the hook for those loans, and you're the responsible party that has to make the payments. Okay, and if she defers it for right now while she's looking for a job, does that mean I have to defer it too, or I have to pay on them right now? So she cannot defer a parent plus loan. She can defer loans that she took out but she can't defer the parent plus. So if you think those loans have been deferred, odds are the lender doesn't think that at all, and they probably aren't if they're parent plus. Yeah, that's what I think, because she showed me the paper saying she has nothing to do at this time. So So I wonder if there's more than one set of loans. I think, yeah, I I was just pulling up a little bit ago, and it looks like there might be four separate loans. Okay, so you could have a combination of things going on. So I'm wrong. Parent plus loans are eligible for deferment in the event that your child is still in grad school. And the rules are up to three years. But if you have multiple type of loans, it's possible that she applied for deferment on one type and did not apply for deferment on another type. And since you have four different types of loans, you got to dig into this with her and say, hey, look, I got all four of these types. Who did you defer loans with? And you're going to have to start chasing it down. It's also possible because of all the inaccuracies with student loans that she has properly deferred those loans, but the lender has not reflected that and is showing you in default on the loans and devastating your credit score. Would something like that devastate it that much, 174 Oh, points? yes. Oh, yes. Oh. If you're late on payments, if they show you haven't made payments on time, your credit score can... Let me think what, what number. So how you pay your bills is about 300 points of what makes up your score. So but even if it's just one out of all of them? Even if it's I've one been, out of all of them, because lenders freak out when someone misses any kind of loan payment. 
And so there may have been more than one month missed, and it kind of feeds on itself and what it does to your credit score. So how long ago did she start deferring loans? Well, she graduated uh, last December, so a little over a year. Okay. So I need for you to get, do you have an actual copy of your credit report, or do you only have what happened to your score? Just happened to my score. I looked on uh, Credit Karma yesterday. All right. So at Credit Karma, you can look at your report, and you need to see if a loan is being reported as past due and how many months past due, and that'll be on there. There's a thing when you sign into your Credit Karma dashboard, you can see the actual credit report for two of the three bureaus, and you'll be able to see. And then you'll know what loan, actual part, which of the four loans is being reported as delinquent. Actually, I think it's all four, because all all four said that they're delinquent by so many days. Okay, then you you and your daughter have a part-time job here where you need to talk to these lenders and get to the bottom of this, particularly if she has documents showing the loans were properly put into deferment, that this be cleared up with your credit if, in fact, she's got documentation showing that all the loans were put into deferment. And I want to hear back from you about this because this happens to so many parents you can't believe. Yeah, it's quite upsetting. Oh, yeah. And you've got to you've got to really when I say you need to treat this like a part time job, you got to because your credit reputation can be harmed for so long if you don't get to the bottom of this. And I've had an excellent credit score for years and then boom. Right, so just like that. I'm going to skip ahead and tell you something. If you've got things buttoned up and the lenders are still doing it wrong, you've got to go file a complaint against the individual student lenders at consumerfinance.gov. Okay. And remember, that's a .gov. And hang on just a second, Robert, because I want to make sure that we can find out from you later what's actually happened with these loans. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com slash ask. Sometimes you'll be on the air. Sometimes Joel will ask your question for you. What you got, Joel? Clark got one from David. He says, do Americans need a passport to visit Canada by car? You, uh, no, you don't have to have a passport, but you do have to have a, um, uh, what's known as a passport card to cross into Canada, which is a different thing. And 
So you do have to have an official U.S. document now, which you did not have to have before. So that is a change that follows the, um, the laws that were adopted after the September 11th terrorist attack. So the passport card is 65 bucks. A regular passport's 145 bucks. And the passport card gets you by land or sea into Canada and Mexico. You can also use a passport card for cruises around the Caribbean or to Bermuda. All right, Joey says, Clark, how long should you keep your tax returns? I thought I heard you say you should keep them forever. So, all right, that's not the official answer from the IRS. It is the Clark answer. Because the IRS can allege at any time you didn't file a return forever ago. And if you have no records, no proof, it's their word against yours. So what I do is I keep my returns and all supporting documentation for six years. After the sixth year, when the next return is done, I throw away for the seventh year Everything but the return itself. So all my supporting documentation goes away. I have a, my tax return's pretty uh, involved one. And so I have a lot of supporting documentation. So I'm getting rid of 95% of my paperwork every year past the sixth year. But the actual return itself, I do not dump. All right, Dave says, on a recent show, I heard you reference car insurance based on a per mile rate. Could you explain how I get that? Yeah, so Metro Mile is the biggest player in it, and they're only available in like seven or eight states. I'll give them to you alphabetically. How's that? Arizona, California, Illinois, New Jersey, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Washington State. All right, Clark, Sean's got a question. He says, what's the best and most reliable site for obtaining my credit score? I've been told that some of the most advertised reporting sites aren't all that accurate. Okay, there is no such thing as a single credit score for any of us. You're referring by what you said, I assume, to Credit Karma and Credit Sesame. The scores you see are an approximation of your uh, score you'd have under the FICO system, which is the one most respected. But we have, each of us have dozens of different versions of our credit score depending on which database they're drawing from, which credit bureau, which scoring model is being used, and for what type of borrowing we're looking at, whether it's for a car loan, a mortgage loan, credit card. It could be something like an insurance score. There are so many different types that what you're looking for is you're looking for an approximation of your credit health, and that you do get for free, updated every week, from Credit Sesame and Credit Karma. Now, also, with many credit cards, you have access, if you sign into your credit card company's website, you have access to an updated, uh, normally it will be a FICO score, that they have drawn from from a particular credit bureau, and those are available to you for free as part of having that credit card. Something Discover started originally, and now most credit card companies offer to their customers. Again, for free. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.